Today is Friday, March 16th, 2018. Today we talk with Luke McElroy, creator of Salt Conferences and author of his new book, Creative Potential, Principles for Unleashing Your God-Given Calling. This week's episode is sponsored by Visual Media Church. Visual Media Church is one of the fastest growing church media companies creating worship backgrounds, social media posts, stock video, stock photography, and templates for all your media needs. Go to visualmediachurch.com to sign up today, and when you do, use promo code CREATIVECHURCH to get 20% off all their memberships. That's CRTV Church for 20% off. Go and sign up today. Church podcast where each week we talk about the latest in Christian creative culture and explore the lives of prominent creatives. My name is Nick Gunner. Joining me today is the one, the only, Emily Cummings. Hey, it's good to be here. Hey, Emily. Um, and to her digital right, my left, Ross Montgomery. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> these are getting better and better every single week. I can tell we're, we're topping ourselves every single week with these greetings. Just so everyone knows, we're off to a very slow start this morning, <laughs> like or this afternoon, not even this morning. We're off to a very slow start this afternoon. So we're just jumping right on into it. But anyway, so how's everyone going this week? Been pretty good. I, some people may or may not know if they follow me on social media at all. My wife has been getting into uh, Jersey Wooly Bunnies. Um, and if you look them up, they're super cute, super fluffy. And they're, they're pretty small bunnies and they're known for being uh, pretty pretty chill they don't really they don't bite um they rarely kick i mean bunnies don't like to be up high anyway so when you pick them up they kind of freak out but you know they don't really kick and freak out like a normal bunny you think they don't, would they don't like to be up high i didn't know that. no i didn't know, you know that either yeah that's probably that's why i can never hold a bunny is because they're so tall <laughs> yeah they're just I grab the bunny, they freak out you're like they the iron out. giant to me um, yeah the bunnies have been freaking out all my life yeah that's but uh anyways so uh we've been trying to you know get get a couple of them to reproduce here and and so we were kind of checking we're like oh man it didn't take this time we'll have to try again another time um and then saturday morning uh my wife texted me i had headed off to like a, a video i was shooting saturday morning and she texted me and said i just found three bunnies and she was like yeah it must have happened just this morning they were like i heard them chirping when i got there to you know feed the bunnies in the morning and there they were I was like, oh, that's interesting. And, and then uh, a little bit later, she said she was kind of getting a, a little nesting box ready for the bunny to, you know, be able to feed feed the little ones and everything. And uh, then she said while she was doing that, she put the mom into another little area we have, and she had a fourth baby. No <laughs> right <way>. there. Wow. <laughs> so we have four new baby bunnies, bringing our total bunny count up to um, nine in our garage wow. right now. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. So, so I, I mean, I think we've talked about this before on, on the podcast. This is before Emily, but, uh, um, whenever you guys get these bunnies, what do you do with them? What is, yeah. So we actually away? might have all of them spoken for, um, we're going to wow. sell them. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you wait about eight weeks until they're off of nursing with the mother and then they're eating on their own, which we actually have one bunny that's right at that eight week period. And, He's doing excellent and eating on his own and uh, everything. And Chris is actually thinking, my wife is thinking about showing him uh, at an upcoming bunny show. So, wow. yeah, lots of interesting, interesting things. And the fact that they, that it had four bunnies and we never felt it being pregnant because you'd oh, think you could goodness. feel four little bodies in its belly, it being such a small animal. But no. <laughs> do you name all of them? Uh, we do. Um but we'll see if we'll kind of let people name yeah. name the ones that are eight weeks old. We kind of go with uh, movie reference names That's right now. Awesome. Um, since they're Jersey Woolies, we 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 call them kind of, you know, we call our little rabbitry, if you will, like Wookie Woolies. <laughs> so <laughs> we name them all after Star Wars characters. That's so awesome. wow. the the other the first baby bunny that we had, we named him Poe. So we'll see what the other ones. We don't know what they are yet. You have to wait a few weeks before you can tell if they're male or female. But can we all name a bunny? <laughs> oh, oh, we might have to do that. Um, that might be have something. To put some that names would be in yeah. so much That's a fun. good reply all question you for go. like next week. Yes. We'll all ask, what do you want to name Ross's bunnies? There you go. There you go. I I'm learning so much about bunnies right now. This is amazing. Yeah, there's a lot to learn. It's pretty insane. Awesome. Emily, Emily, I, I have a question for you real okay. quick. Okay. Right. Um, a couple weeks ago, we're on the podcast. Uh -huh. um, and you're, you're completely unprepared for this. So, so be ready. <laughs> oh, um, good. 
you said that you liked the Oreo peeps, the peep Oreos. Love them. Love them because of the purple. Okay. Right. But then you said I would draw the line if they came out with a ketchup flavor. <laughs> right. Which got me thinking, okay, do you remember the purple ketchup? I do. Like, I remember it as a kid, but I don't remember eating it. You don't remember eating the purple no. ketchup? I tried green ketchup once. That's, yeah, there was green and there I was remember, a purple one. I remember I the green. It was pretty terrible. <laughs> did, <laughs> did, uh, did, uh, didn't Burger King, like, I can't remember exactly what the premise was. I feel like it they was did a black Shrek ketchup. movie. Yeah, what is Really? Oh, that's so weird. Oh, no, they did black buns. Oh, yeah, Burger King did the black buns. That's right. But did they do the ketchup? Like, I feel like they did the ketchup for, like, Shrek or something. I, I don't know why we had I feel like why we had probably this. correct. <laughs> so my question for you is, if Oreo were to release a purple ketchup-flavored Oreo... No. What, you... <laughs> so what I think you're doing no. is you're giving, you're giving anybody that listens to this podcast yeah. and will be in Emily's presence a way to punk her. You guys are like the brothers I never had who are just <laughs> of all the fun ways to punk me. And, okay, I probably would try it because it's purple, so you've got me there. But I really don't think I would like it. But you would try it. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> See, I wouldn't even try it. Like, I'd be like, that. that's where I'd be like, no, but, well, I'm drawing the line. Well, she know it's ketchup. It, it depends on if she knows oh, it's ketchup oh. or not. Oh, so if you knew it was ketchup, you wouldn't try it. No, I'd still try it. Oh my hey. god! <laughs> <laughs> Why not? It's purple. The Oreo it's not runs kill deep me. with you, Emily. <laughs> yes, Sorry. you are dedicated oh to this brand. Hey, I'm like committed. Once I really like something, I'm all in. Like all in. Now I'm not going to tell you I'd eat a pack of like purple ketchup flavored Oreos, <laughs> no. but I would try one. I, okay, I Nabisco, I... if you're hearing this. Yeah. And up with some with some flavor taste testing that we can um, yeah. Nabisco and Heinz. We've obviously found a marriage made in heaven. Mm. You two need to come together and make an Oreo. Oh God! Didn't know that was necessary, <laughs> but now we do. Um, well, anyway, we have a great show planned for everyone today. Coming up later, we're joined by Luke McElroy, who you might know as a creator of Salt, but he's here to talk about his new book, Creative Potential. Up next is trending. headlines that's important to us and that we feel is impacting culture church or creators and we discuss it ross you're up first this week what do you got well last week um i don't know how many people have i mean a lot of people have probably heard of catalyst as far as the big conference Mm -hmm. um but they have a catalyst one day that is a traveling conference essentially so the the conference stopped by in denver which is closest to me just 20 minutes up the road Mm -hmm. and it had Craig Rochelle, Levi Lesko, and Lisa Turkhurst. And they were so incredible, each one of them. And I knew Levi Lesko from uh, Skull Church, knew he started that. And now he's at, doing uh, Fresh Life, um, multi-campus. And, of course, Craig Rochelle, a lot of people know who he is. And, um, you know, Lisa Turkhurst doing some Bible studies and books that she's done. It was super interesting how they laid out the day had just kind of the perfect flow of information, like a lot of head knowledge at the beginning and then a whole lot of heart knowledge in the afternoon. So it didn't feel like you after lunch were having this crash with all this information coming at your face. (laughs) So it was incredible and I would recommend it to anybody. Um, But one of the things that Craig Rochelle shared just really stuck with me. And um, he talked about systems and talking about how, um, A system is a set of principles or procedures that determine how something is done. And a system is how you accomplish the what um, behind what you're doing. And just the way he approached all of that was interesting because there's a few things in my church uh, that I've seen that I'm like, you know, we do this well, but I want to see us do it better. I want us to see us create a system, not just because we're like, oh, this is a value and then let that system kind of create itself haphazardly, but be really intentional about um, creating that system uh, to get things done and to make things happen. Uh, One of the quotes he shared was from Andy Stanley, systems trump mission statements. What's happening in the halls 
trumps what's written on the walls. And that really stuck out to me because, um, you know, you can have some great graphics, you can have some incredible uh, environments, but kind of the result that you're seeing uh, really speaks to what systems you have in place. And, you know, if something feels like it's lacking or if you feel like something needs to, to be better or you kind of look at it from a fresh perspective of if I was a first time visitor to this church or uh, ministry, what would it look like? And it really kind of put that in perspective for me um, because he's like a system is going to be created no matter what. Um, if you just say, hey, get this done, the people that are going to do it are going to create a system. But if you're intentional about making a good system, it'll come out with a great result. I mean, I definitely agree with everything that you just shared. Um, and it's true. It's the unique spin on a system's going to happen one way or another. So you might as well actually take the extra time to develop the system you want set in place um, to reach the desired you know, outcome. Because otherwise, like, yeah, I never thought about it that way before that someone will create a system. So what kind of system do you want in place? That's that's key. Yeah, I, I'm. I, this is kind of right up my wheelhouse because this is what my parents did growing up. They would come in and create systems for people uh, and churches. And then this is kind of what I, I did for a few years before starting Creative Church is making systems for people and uh, really getting smaller churches onto an official system. And really that point about people will make their own system that's probably the worst news any leader can hear um, because uh, and you really need to grasp that because um, because they'll make their own system. And then whenever you try to implement a system, they'll buck your new system. And that's whenever you get conflict. That's when you get tension. So really, really consider whenever you're building something, whenever you're designing something, whenever you're creating an organization, think about ways that you can build a structure and build a system to make everything work and flow efficiently. Uh, I heard it said this way, you know, I grew up in the South, so um, we have a lot of uh, a lot of wilderness um, <laughs> <laughs> metaphors. Uh, so uh, a bass or a catfish, catfish, whenever uh, you're farming catfish, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but when you're farming catfish, typically what farmers will do is they'll tank and they'll sink a uh, a big, uh, either, they'll either sink like an old car mm-hmm. or they'll get some logs or something yep. and they'll sink these old logs. And what that does is it helps the catfish population repopulate and regrow. And you say, well, why is that? Well, it's because suddenly they have a structure that they can kind of lean into and adapt to. And it says that, you know, by nature, we all want a structure. We want something that will protect us. We want something that will uh, guide us and we want something that will uh, be there, you know, kind of a kind of a a wall for us to, to grab back onto. And it always promotes growth. The systems in your church are your structure. They are what help people grow. They yeah. are what promote growth. And they help you measure your growth, too. So at the end of mm. the year, you can look back and see how you got to where you yep. you know, you know, are now. If you don't have a system in place, you could celebrate. You have X amount of numbers in this or X amount of baptisms or whatever it is that you're measuring. But if you don't know how you got there, it's not really a huge win because you can't measure doing that again or actually stretching yourself to grow even more. And it also helps you whenever you... Um, are doing something wrong to know yeah. that something something wrong is going on. Something's exactly. not right. Something's out of place. I will add this. Um, each church has to come up with their own system. Mm, you have to yep. develop your own procedure, your own structure. Um, too often what we do is we steal from larger organizations. Yep. And we think, oh, I'll just take this system, this structure, and I'll pull it into my 100-person church, and guess what happens? That doesn't work. People get freaked out. They they run away. I, I see that happen a lot, like where they'll try to bring like, uh, you know, my example is always church on the move because that's a big church um, from where I grew up. They'll bring church on the move structure into their 200 person church and church on the move runs at a different capacity than <laughs> your 150 person church. And what will happen is you try to implement this really professional, really mega church style structure. And what people do is they, they back off and like, I don't want to be a part of this. This is too intense. So you really have to adapt your system and your model as you grow and as you change and what, and for what capacity and what level you're at as a church. Yeah. There was two things that, that, that really, uh, aside from that Andy Stanley quote, another quote was your systems are perfectly designed to get the results you are getting. Uh, Stephen Covey said that one. I'm like, Ooh, that could be convicting. Um, and then the other one, and, and this will be the last point here, this, this, uh, whole thing, healthy systems never happen by accident because nobody drifts towards quality. 
So you have to yep. put that quality into it in the front end. Oh, that's good. I like how I love how Ross just did like a pastor thing. This will be the last <laughs> point today. <laughs> this, this will be it. But I am going to ask you one more thing, Ross. Is there anything else you took away from uh, Catalyst One Day? Because it's a very. I awesome mean, I could spend the whole podcast talking about give, it. Give but... me, give me two more things you took away. Oh from Catalyst my god! Real it, just real quick, off the top of the dome. <laughs> no, no prep, no prep. Now, no if this prep. was Emily, Emily would have already talked about Oreos thirty times. Yeah, um, how'd you know? yeah. yeah. Come on. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well. Um, no, Levi Lesko, him just sharing kind of um, about leadership and how to um, handle weeding, um, different things that can affect your leadership. He called it weedership. So that's why I went, yeah, that's why I was about to call it weedership. Like that's what he called it. Um, and then, of course, made the um, obligatory Colorado joke along with that. But um, he uh, really put it into these great terms of like, we have to be active about, you know, not letting those things take root in our leadership that are going to cause rifts and divides uh, with whoever we're leading or again, um, with the bigger picture of what's going on. Um, and You know, everything from dealing with systems to dealing with people. Um, so that was a big one. Um, and Lisa shared a little bit of about, about a personal, um, situation that's happening with her right now if, you, if anybody wants to look it up you can she's um speaking about it so it's not anything that she's like hiding or or anything like that but um just kind of talking about um you know how to how to handle that like you know questioning god like why do you have me in ministry and i'm going through this um you know to to getting the answer of um that's exactly why you're in ministry because i know you're strong enough to go through this and um just so we can do our due diligence. What is what is she kind of going through right now? She shared like a while back on, I can't remember her Facebook or her actual website, but like she went, like had a long letter to readers and stuff and she unpacked like the whole thing. Okay. Um, I figured she did, yeah. and I don't, but I don't follow her close enough to know if that was the case. So yeah, she, she made it, it sound like they're still together and working on it. So I didn't want to assume anything, but. Well, Emily, what do you got for us today? All right, so I have something pretty uh, deep and really, really real awesome. Off brand. Yeah, really, it's... really off brand. I mean, the... Is that what you said? Off brand? Hydrox? What? Uh, <laughs> we're talking about Hydrox? Oh, my gosh. Okay, oh let me just gosh. say, the leadership y'all are going to get from this article is just superior. So over the last three episodes that I've had the privilege of being on the podcast, we've all learned one very important fact about me. The, the I... only important fact about you. <laughs> the only important fact about you. I really like Oreos. And I mean, not just like, <laughs> but love Oreos. So I've got to know, Nick, Ross, what is your number one favorite Oreo flavor? I- I'm going to go with regular, old, traditional Oreos. Okay. Classic. So, so yeah, my go-to is double stuff. But... Okay. um. I, I sent you guys that picture of the red yes. velvet and cinnamon bun Oreos I ran oh. into the other day. And I was like, I, both of those sound really good because cream cheese flavored cream in the red velvet Oreo. Oh, mm. sounds so good. And then cinnamon bun just sounds like I would be in a food coma watching Netflix while yes. eating that. I don't know about you guys, but no matter how this show goes at the end of it, I'm going to get Oreos. <laughs> just, I, I'm leaving to go get Oreos. I don't even, I, I have milk in the fridge already. I just need to go over to Target and get some Oreos. Cause just make sure, make sure you dunk them properly. <laughs> well, I'll make sure I dunk them properly. Emily's the one you got to learn how to dunk properly. Sorry, No milk required. You know. Okay. Well, that's did- Emily's new podcast. No milk <laughs> no required. Milk required. <laughs> All of about Oreo talk. Oh my god. Coming to the Creative Church Podcast Network oh, in late 2019. So if no, Oreo no comes required. out with a podcast called that, we're calling it right now. Yes. We gotta get some rights to that. 100 <laughs> percent Oh my goodness. Did you guys know pre-future podcast that we're hoping for, there are actually currently 22 kind of strange Oreo flavors. Oh, well, we touched I, I on it a little bit last week. Ones, but like 22 sounds like a lot. Right? That's what I thought too. So according to Genius Kitchen, there are 22. And okay, scanning through the list, I noticed a lot that seemed familiar to me. But then there was a huge handful that I did not know existed. And I really <laughs> want to try. And they're not in my stores. So it's also kind of depressing. So listeners, if you're listening to this and you have one of these Oreo flavors in your store, 
Uh, let us know so we can get Emily hooked up with the, with Thank these Oreos. You. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and we'll send all of your friends. Oreo fan art to Emily Cummins. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, so I want to try from this list of twenty-two: candy cane because Christmas. Hello, uh, candy corn because we've okay, already buddy, established <laughs> <laughs> candy cane, candy, candy corn, corn. And, syrup. <laughs> and syrup. I want to try the syrup once. <laughs> there was not a syrup flavor. Pancakes and syrup. <gasps> That wasn't even on the list. Oh, my god! How have they not done that yet? Right? Oh we just god. came up with uh, the best Oreo flavor right there. This is amazing. Well, and I told Emily the other day that she needs to crumble up Oreos mm-hmm. into her pancakes because yep. she shared a picture oh of pancakes on Instagram. Yep. Please, we better be sending you. this episode to Oreo. I'm, I, I'm, 100% I'm just serious. sending everything now to yes. Oreo. <laughs> what I'm or doing Nabisco with my life. Yeah. I love Technical. it. Okay. okay, continue with your list. No, you're good. You're good. Okay, caramel apple. Who knew okay. that was a thing? That's um, Cookie dough. Limeade. Sounds good. Limeade. Like, really? I go to Sonic for those. But, like, in an Oreo. I know. That does mm. sound interesting. Yeah. Okay, this one sounds really good. Marshmallowy crisp. Oh, like a Rice Krispie Treat. Yes. Yes. I bet you they couldn't get the term Rice Krispie Treat on the package, though. Right. Because of the copyright. So, basically, I... I stopped making the list because I kind of want to try all of them. Because <laughs> so... you're like, i got to make it through part of this list before I add more. <laughs> I completely yeah. just stopped halfway through. I was, it was up. Uh, would you guys want to try? I drooled on my computer and it sorted <laughs> out. Basically. Stop telling my life story on this podcast. I'm sorry. Come on. That's for the Becoming Me podcast launching later this month. Come yeah, on. Yeah, in two weeks. A, a real podcast that Emily's making <laughs> called Becoming yeah. Me. And in Oreos weeks. are not included. I'm so sorry. Mm. But they might have to make I think a cameo appearance. It, com- it conflicts with the brand, but yeah. we're going to do it. No Oreos included. I think, I mean, other than the two that I mentioned that, that you know, I want to try, I would try Fruit Punch. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like the cool mint ones might taste a little bit too much like uh, toothpaste. Um, but they don't, the candy... you haven't tried those. No, they're actually good. Okay. I can imagine them tasting like the grasshoppers at the cookout sale. <laughs> they do kind of taste like that. Yeah. Or not the grasshoppers, I would try, I would try the candy mints. cane ones. Mm-hmm. I'd be on, I'd be on team candy cane. Woohoo. Uh, I'm definitely going with, uh, the crispy rice ones. Mm-hmm. Um, that just sounds amazing. And the ones that Ross mentioned, I think I, I, I think I saw those at my store. So I think I know where I can get those. <laughs> um, essentially, no, after this podcast, yeah, I'm just going to go and find all these Oreo flavors. Not all, but most, and, and try them. I got to know why Emily is so addicted to Oreo. Well, you got to get the Peeps one. That's got to be one it's of your first so ones. That's, that's oh, started that's, I almost this. forgot. Yeah, we got to try the Peeps For all one. of this Oreo talk. Yep. And I'm assuming that after Easter, they won't, they'll be very hard Stop to Stop reminding me that they, they were going to go because away. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, I absolutely love the white fudge dipped Oreos. Okay. Those are by far the best thing in the entire world. Um, especially like eat them with a strawberry. Oh my God. Um, but anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. You can only get those in like December and November. And that to me is heart wrenching. Um, well, and if you go to the Oreo website, again, they are not a sponsor of this podcast, <laughs> but if you go Even to the Oreo website, like <laughs> there are so many recipes of things to do with Oreos True. that it's insane. Mm. Well, there you have it. Up next is our interview with Luke McElroy. This week's featured interview is with Luke McElroy. Luke is the visionary of Salt Conferences and founder of Orange Thread Media, the parent company to Orange Thread Live Events and Triple Wide Media. He is also author of several books, including most recently released, Creative Potential, Principles for Unleashing Your God-Given Calling. Luke's leadership has helped create powerful live environments for thousands around the world. He is proud to call Nashville, Tennessee home and regularly writes about creativity, leadership, and faith at LukeMcElroy.com. Here's part of our conversation with Luke. Okay, so I gotta ask, how and what do you do to talk about your journey and some practical steps and put it into a book? Oh man, great question. Because, well, first thing you gotta live it, right? You yes. can't you can't tell it until it's been lived. But I think the next thing that happens naturally is, especially for my story, so much of my creative potential was creating an event. 
And I freaked out for four years uh, <laughs> because I never wanted to speak at this event. I never wanted to like, I, it, God had put so much in me, but I, I just honestly sort of was like, this isn't for me to say. And uh, at about the 20, late 2015, early 2016 time period is when I started realizing God's put too much in me to not say something. Like I'm not honoring my own calling hmm. of starting this thing if I don't unpack all the stuff God's taught me in. And I started talking to friends, right? And I started talking to people who, and they were like, man, I just, I could never do what you do. And I'm like, yeah, you could. You just take a step of faith. You just trust. And so I started realizing, okay, God, I'm going to start writing. And if this thing works out to something, you let me know. So (laughs) that's honestly how it started. I started writing summer of 16 and finished um, not long after we did a conference in October of 2016. And then I gave it to an editor. And Ross, I haven't told many people this story. This is, this may encourage most people or freak most people out. I don't know, but I finished it and I gave it to our editor and my editor, uh, happens to be one of the first people I talked about the conference with. And I gave it to her because I really wanted her to sort of not only authentically help me make sure that the story is told right, but I also knew that she cared far more about me than she did about this project. (laughs) Mm. And she would be brutally honest if it wasn't good. Yeah. Well, you need those kind of people. Yes. And so it took like three to four months. We worked through the whole first act. The book is broken into two acts, as you've known. And uh, and she got we got through the first act and she said, Luke, this is really good stuff. And then she hits the second act. And we stopped talking. And I was like, hey, Katie, are, you know, <laughs> can we get together? Like, And she's like, well, I'm trying to read the second act. And And so she finally says, yeah, let's jump on the phone. She jumps on the phone and she basically just says, Luke, there's no easy way for me to put this. You have to rewrite the entire second act. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh, Ross. Can you imagine like (laughs) having not written this for four years of your life, knowing that you were supposed to, you finally find the time and carve it out and write it. And she basically was telling me that I had to rewrite 30,000 words. Yeah. And there was no easy way of hearing that. Like she literally said, Luke, it's just not there. It's, you just need to start over. There's no way for me to sugarcoat this. There's no way for us to like cut and paste what works. It's just not. And I was like devastated, <laughs> but I did. <laughs> I rewrote yeah. the whole second half. Did, did she, did she offer some insight into that as you wrote? Did you do a little more? No, she lit. Well, she, the only insight she said, so I, I was diagnosed with ADHD as a lot of creatives are. And it's a, it's a gift now, uh, but even in writing, it, it's paralyzing in many ways because I wrote in sections and you'd write something. And what she said was, Luke, the whole second act is just like your head is. It's all over the place. <laughs> like there's no thread. No one's going to know how to go from section to section. The chapters oh. make no sense. And so really what she said was, you need to write it again. Some of these concepts are good. Some of them you just need to read and go, oh, wait, that's not a good enough concept yet. Um, and, and so I spent a lot of time just sort of going, when am I going to rewrite this thing? Like I had carved so much time out, but I chose one of the concepts I talk about in the book is that fear has to be a catalyst, not a paralyzing sort of factor. And I, I honestly sort of read that section myself and was like, okay, I need this. And then I went, my parents have a lake place in Atlanta and it's a great little cabin that is secluded. You don't get cell coverage, so you're not going to get blown up by friends. <laughs> the ADHD doesn't kick in as bad. Exactly. And so I was able to put on some uh, music that had no lyrics in it. And for 72 hours straight, I mean, I slept and had some meals, but for 72 hours straight, I rewrote this thing. And so the reason the second act has this beautiful thread, uh, I use this image of a gobstopper, but the reason all that exists is because I was able to do it in a really concentrated time period. Hmm. I don't recommend that for anyone who has, who's listening and says, I want to write a book. Um, that was painful. And what made it even worse was my nephew and brother and sister-in-law came up uh, in the last like two hours. I was in the last chapter and my nephew, who's two years old, three years old at the time, it, it, he comes up to me and is like, Uncle Luke, you want to come play? And I'm like, Oh, I'm almost done. <laughs> so I felt like uh, the enemy was trying to tease me away from finishing this, the second act. So, you know, in, in that first act, as you do kind of tell your journey to um, the things that you started and things you wanted to start, um, you talk about the importance of taking time to let God reveal his purpose instead of inserting kind of your own desires. How did that happen as you wrote this book? Obviously, you said you kind of wanted this to be for more people than just your close circle of friends or, or 
people that you were coming into contact with, how did, how did, uh, how did you listen to God and hear his voice through it all instead of trying to make it what you wanted it to be? I mean, I think the example with Katie is, is, is probably a big example of that, but what else? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I didn't know what the book was going to turn into. Um, I remember sitting down for the first time. I had been telling a bunch of the people who work on our team, like, hey, I think that some of the concepts God's been throwing on, uh, onto our plate when it comes to the, the last several SALT conferences, the themes and the biblical concepts and all the stuff we've learned about what the Bible says about creativity, we realized that there was potentially a book in there. But we, I never knew how it was. And so to be honest with you, I sat down one day and I just decided this would be kind of a neat journey to document for ourselves. I started realizing that, you know, when you when you run a business or when you have an organization like this, um, there's a good chance that people are going to come and go and they won't have lived the journey that um, you and, and the team that have really built this from the beginning had learned. And so I honestly sat down kind of for me, if you will, I, I didn't write this for anybody else in the beginning. And I sat down and said, God, I'm just going to let you show me what I need to write down to document this story. Because so you can always learn either way, like what went right, what went wrong, what might've been missing and all that. 100% agree with that. And I think, what I was hoping, Ross, is that as I would write, God would just reveal these little like gems of, oh, yeah. hey, don't forget I was there for this. Hey, don't forget I was there. And what a lot of people don't know is that we were moving into a season where we were basically saying no to a what we had known. We had been doing a three-day conference in October for mm-hmm. years, and we basically were going to hit the road and do this tour. And it was all right before that. And writing this helped give us so much perspective to sort of remember what it was that God called us to and remember it. So as I was writing this out for me, in many ways, it sort of started as a personal journey uh, or a journal, if you will, yeah. right? Like, um, I don't know if any guys have diaries. I don't. I don't write on Our, our lead pastor keeps a journal. That's constantly. amazing. Well, and oh, I yeah. think that there's so much that can come out when you write something. Writing, you can't write as fast as you think and you can't write as fast as you talk. And so it sort of forces me to slow down. And so to take even some of the concepts of the book, I mean, obviously the whole first act is the story is that I got my calling wrong in many ways. Um, and I had to wait for God to sort of release me into the second. And I think that writing is a creative medium that forces you to sort of wait because you, you may have thoughts, but then as you write them out, those thoughts get changed. And I think that's the Holy Spirit working through that. But yeah, it was an amazing personal journey for me to sort of process. And after I had the first act done, I realized maybe this is part of the book. Maybe this is, but I never, I didn't sit down in the beginning and say, I'm going to write a book. Okay. I always had wanted to, but I wrote this for us. And then I sort of started realizing, wait a minute, this this actually could help people. This could yeah. help my brother-in-law as he's trying to figure out a job. This could help my friend Gabby, who believes she's not creative enough in life and mm. she's an architect. And I'm like, wait a minute, you work in a creative field. What do you mean? You know, I just started meeting all these people and hearing this constant thread of like, I don't feel like I'm hitting my potential in life. Like I haven't found that calling, you know, and yeah. I just started realizing, wait a minute, maybe, maybe the story I've gone through is really all of our story as we step into what it is that God's asked us to. How did that feel as, as uh, going through the editing process, getting to, publishing the book and and everything that goes along with that of putting yourself out there, being vulnerable in some spots Mm. saying, man, I got it completely wrong in the beginning. Um, got got really humbled by God. Uh, I mean, you talk about discovering the right questions, your, your Atlanta moment. I'm not going to go into too much detail. That's just chock full of a bunch of truth that God revealed to you in that moment. But, um, how do you, how does kind of putting all that out there, um, strike you as a creative, um, and, you know, going from this personal journal, making it this public book? Man, what a great question, because I think most of us who are listening to this deal in the creative space. And and so we may have been a little bit familiar with a creative process in some capacity. And I find yeah. that most of those processes are throw every idea you have, refine, 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 throw some <laughs> new ideas that come out of that refinement. And then you know, at some point through this unbelievable chiseling effect, removing what's not good, putting new stuff. I mean, you really just sort of throw stuff out and then you sort of strip it all away. And then you eventually are like, no, that's awesome. That's good. Well, it's a whole different thing when it's your life and it's your story. And I don't know if you've ever read Ross, uh, 
Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. No, I haven't. But it was his his story of sort of, you know, he wrote the book Blue Like Jazz and then yeah. they turned it into a movie. And Million Miles in a Thousand Years was really his experience of what it was like to hear filmmakers say your story, which even though it was a New York Times bestseller and it sold tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of copies, it's still just not good enough for screen. <laughs> he's like, wait a minute, I'm not living a life that's good enough for screen, <laughs> but it was a, so I would say that I had in many ways, some of those same feelings and, but it was great because the, the, the first person to read the book, uh, as I've mentioned, Katie lived the story with us. And so yeah. she was able to make sure that it, we didn't adjust it to be this Hollywood story. It is 100% yeah. authentic to what happened. It's just that we made sure that it was told in a way that was compelling a, but B, helpful because yeah. no one wants to just read someone else's story. And that's, that's, I think, the thing I would say to everyone listening is that it's not just my story. It's, it's my story that I sort of walk through what God was walking me through. And as people have started to read it, they just started telling me like, Luke, this is, this is my story too. Like I totally resonate with this. You know, I, I've walked through that same place of just hitting wall after wall after wall, right? God's, I mean, one of the key things that happens in the first act is that I basically thought I was going to do one thing with my life. Yeah. And then I, as you mentioned, I had this Atlanta moment and God really clarified some things for me, which was just a turning point. And then as I start into the second quote calling, if you will, um, <laughs> I just kept hitting wall. I mean, we hit wall after wall after wall. And I tell some of those stories in the book and I, I just, you know, the the thing that I kept coming out of this is like, wow, I'm sure everyone in life has felt like they've hit a wall when it comes to their creative calling, right? And whether it's creative or not. I mean, I think yeah. just calling in life, they hit a wall. Whether it's, hey, I'm going to be in church media. Hey, I'm going to be a pastor. Hey, I'm going to be a worship leader. Hey, I'm going to be a songwriter. Hey, I'm going to go be a filmmaker or a storyteller or whatever. Like you hit walls. Mm-hmm. And I think in many ways... Um, your ability to trust God with the calling is how you respond when you hit those walls. Yeah. And, you know, we have a choice. We can say, hey, we're going to just stop because this may not be God. Or we're going to say, you know what, as as hard and as painful and as tough as this season is right now, I'm going to trust that this is God and that Christ died so I would step into my God-given calling. So I'm going to run with the confidence of the cross behind me. You know, it's kind of that balance of like, kind of doing doing what you're feeling that passion for and at the same time allowing God to kind of reveal those opportunities and even opportunities through hitting a wall. 100%. Like seeing that as an opportunity to, you know, shift or ask some different questions and that kind of thing. Yeah, like one of the things that we talked that I wrote in the book that has really been a profound statement just in the last several years of my own life is that so often the enemy is going to use a good idea to mm-hmm. sort of rob you of your God idea. And in my story, the first calling was a good idea. I mean, it had a Jesus vision with it. The whole vision was that we were going to change the DNA of our culture by raising up basically new CEOs that were (laughs) God-fearing men and women. And that's a great idea. It's just not the God idea that he put in my life. And so many of us, we may be in a good idea right now, but it may not be the God idea that he's ordained. And that may be part of why we keep feeling the ceiling. Like, man, I'm just not getting anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. But another part of it may be that we're trying to do so much on our own. And we're not really saying, hey, let's be willing in the waiting to let God breathe into this thing. Yeah. And you do talk a lot about that waiting. I think you called it the beautiful wait. The beautiful wait. How to really... Yeah, not make it seem like this intimidating or impatient, anxious time, but to truly let it be a time to let God speak into your life um, and lead you into that calling. And for you, it was the the original calling. You kind of had to, you know, get back to that point, which, um, you know, I really appreciate the honesty and and all of that. Uh, So, yeah, that was really incredible to see, you know, because I've seen that in my life of how there's sometimes... You, you feel maybe a little, not uncomfortable, but you you feel a little, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know what I mean? You kind of feel uh, antsy. Yeah. Not anxious, but you just feel kind of a little antsy. Like, man, there's something more I want to do. I feel like there's more I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to sit there, develop the skills, you know, continue that relationship with God, be close to him because, you know, where's our creativity kind of come with if we don't have inspiration from that relationship? 
Totally. And the beautiful thing of living in the United States is that we live in a culture that focuses on being effective, being efficient, doing things, growing things, seeing, you know, projects and, and life and whatever sort of explode. And that's, that's where I think that antsiness comes from. But I think as you look into scripture, almost every story in the Bible has this period of waiting. And I think in many ways, it's because God realizes God could do anything he wanted. He created the entire world in seven, six days. He doesn't need us to do anything. He wants us to be someone with him. And he's going to use the doing to help us be. But I think so often in our Western uh, driven culture, we flip those. And we think that we're called to be ourselves into doing rather than do ourselves into being. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look at look at how long it was before Nehemiah rebuilt a wall. Yeah. A very long time. Yes. Um, <laughs> but then all the blessings that just came with that and, and just the way that he had favor from the government at the time and all of that. But yeah, look at Joseph, right? I mean, yeah. oh, he went yeah, through absolutely. wall after wall after wall. And I, I feel like I resonate so much with both of those guys. Same with Moses. I mean, Moses never even hit the promised land, which is a is proof in and of itself that God doesn't care about where you end. Temple. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, so shifting into kind of the, what you've said is the, the boots on the ground, the practical ways to do some of this. Um, the second act of your book, what, what kind of, you said you had to rewrite it. You were very focused throughout that. Um, you know, what, what do you feel that, that it's going to speak to people? Yeah. So I think, you know, what, what basically I came up with when I wrote uh, that second act again is I came up with this picture of a gobstopper. And, you know, all of us have seen these, some people call them jawbreakers, but um, I have a box of them on my desk because we've been sending them to people and I literally am addicted to these things now. Um, <laughs> by the way, a fun thing I realized just the other day about gobstoppers is when you put one in your mouth, you can't bite into it. You have to oh. wait, right? <laughs> oh, And I literally, oh, like, preach. <laughs> I literally was like, wait a minute, God, you're like reminding me of my own story. So you have That's to wait funny. a little bit before you can get to the sugary part oh. on the inside. But... Um, there. Yeah, exactly. But I basically use this gobstopper as a picture, if you will, of sort of how I think the Bible helps us realize how we step into our creative calling, how we step into our creative potential. And that really starts with the core of who we are has to reside and we have to understand our uniqueness. And so I basically start the second act and I really walk us through each of these layers individually. So that first one is being unique. And I talk about how you know, because of the world we live in, we sort of see everybody else's work. John Acuff has a great quote about this, that we are so tempted to sort of compare our beginnings to everyone else's middle, mm, right? Yeah, you know, you, your perfect. parents have financial freedom or they've got retirement paid for. They've got this nice house and all these new cars. And when you get out of college or you just start <laughs> getting into workplace or you start your own family for the first time, you immediately think, I'm not doing as well as my parents because they're so much better. And he goes, they're 20 years down the road. Why are you beating yourself up over that, you know? Or filmmakers in the group are like, gosh, if only I could be a filmmaker like J.J. Abrams or Steven Spielberg or, you know, Christopher Nolan or any of these guys. And you're like, well, wait a minute. First of all, they've been doing this way longer than we think. I mean, even their first film was probably, the first like major release film was really probably like their fifth, sixth, seventh, tenth, hundredth, whatever film that they've actually been a part of and made. And, and so I think in that uniqueness piece, it's just understanding like God made you unique to be you. God did not make you to be any other you. He made you to be you. And so there's this freedom that comes when we recognize that God delights more in the you that you are than the you that you're trying to be. And the only way that we really step into our creative potential is when we, when we chase our creative potential. But I think in culture, we want everybody else's creative potential, right? I mean... Let's be honest, Ross. Let's just get real, real, okay? So I would die to have an Instagram feed as awesome as Creative Church, right? <laughs> I mean, but that's not what God called me to. And it's only doing me injustice to say, oh, I want that Creative Church feed that's just throwing out amazing stuff, celebrating people. It's just a great resource for everybody. But that's not it. And the truth of the matter is, is that Creative Church feed is not going to be what Luke McRoy's feed is. And, and there's freedom in that, right? I used to use the example all the time of like with songwriters, you're not Chris Tomlin, which means you're not going to put songs out like Chris Tomlin. 
But Chris Tomlin is not you, which means you're going to have the song Chris can't write. You're going to have the song and the story that Chris can't release. Well, and there's even the person that has to make Chris sound good. Exactly. Yes. I mean, you know, it, it truly is like the the, the biblical um, analogy of all parts being in one body. Like 100%, which I use in the book. Together. I talk yeah. about that. Um, and that helps us understand sort of that third layer. But so anyway, that's uniqueness. And it, I really want us to help us realize like you've got to be the best or you've got to be the you God made you to be. Yeah. Once that core is there, and I spent two whole chapters on that. And there's a lot of scripture that dives into that, but there's a lot of sort of self-reflection that I've realized. And how do you, how do you find of, how do you find yourself? How do you find your calling? It's a little bit of the self-help stuff, but it's incredible foundational stuff that I keep going back to all the time. And then yeah. the second layer is, now that you're you, how do we help you become the best you? And that's excellence. And so once you sort of have that core identity, we can wrap this in. What does the Bible say about being excellent? What does the Bible say about being the best? And uh, in 2016, we, we had a conference and this was really the theme. We, we dug into this heavy, but really what we came to the conclusion, what I found just in my own personal journey was that the world tells us that to be perfect, I mean, to be excellent, you have to be perfect. And we look at this, right? We live in a social media world that like our life has to be put together right. And there's a lot of striving and straining to just sort of have everything in line. And I mean, in many ways, I'd say that same thing. Like part of me stepping into even writing this book was realizing, hey, I don't want to just look perfect. I mean, it may be easy to look on the outside and go, oh, Luke's got his stuff all together. Well, the truth matter is I don't. I've got this journey that I'm walking with a limp going, yeah, I got my calling wrong. And I still get it wrong all the time, but I'm trusting that God has purpose in all this. And I'm going to share the fact that I don't have my life all together so that it helps others realize, holy cow, you know, excellence is not perfection. It's this posture of the heart. It's being able to live in a way that says, I'm going to do the best I can to God out of love. And I think a lot of that has to do with just paying attention to what's around you. Um, Not only when you fail, like you said, kind of looking at... um, the right questions and, and saying, okay, so now that I've gone through this, what, what, what do I need to do? Or when you do something well and excellent, you're like, okay, what did I do? And why did it do so well? Like never stop questioning it. Don't ever just assume. Yeah. I talk about one of the principles I talk about on the excellent side is that excellent people, I break down some characteristics of excellent people. And one of those is exactly what you just mentioned. I'd call it the insatiable desire to grow. And whether people did really, really well or people don't do really well, what I would call an excellent person is someone who can take both of those, just like you said, Ross, and and learn from that and grow from that to say, hey, there's never a moment where I can't grow from this point. Because if something worked, I need to know why it worked. If something didn't work, I need to know why it didn't work. And the moment that we just sort of execute and then never do a self-reflection of how can we grow, how can we learn? we're killing ourselves, right? That was one of the biggest lessons I had to learn kind of in my personal career journey of, you know, doing my calling of, you know, feeling like, man, I'm, I don't feel like I'm growing much. I don't feel like I'm doing anything different than I did five, 10 years ago. And, you know, really realizing how important that is, what you just talked about of, of reflecting and taking that time and, and just paying attention around me, like, okay, those that I think do it well, why do they do it well? Oh, I need to ask that for myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, so that's super important. Well, and like Stephen, Stephen Brewster, a good friend of mine, and I know he's been on the podcast, uh, yeah. has a great thought about this. And he basically says, creativity is far more muscle than it is magic. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that people have wrestled with, or people even may have said this about you or people who are listening, that, oh, you're like this magician. You can just pull an idea out of your hat and make it happen, right? Like that's how people look at creative sometimes. But the truth of the matter is it's far more muscle. It's this idea of you've always got to be working on it. And the yeah. moment that you choose to not do self-reflection and you choose to give up that insatiable desire to grow is the moment you say, I don't need to go to the gym anymore. I'm, I'm buff enough. <laughs> well, the problem is when you're, quote, buff enough <laughs> and, uh, and you don't go to the gym anymore, you're going to start losing that muscle. And so for you to say, oh, I can't grow from this, you have literally told yourself, I've hit the ceiling and I don't believe God can do anything else in my life. I mean, that, that'll just kill you. I mean, it'll just rob you not only of opportunities, but it'll rob you of a relationship with God too. No, for sure. I, I think that's just one of those things is, is, yeah, any relationship, any habit that you, good habit that you want to have, any, 
kind of thing that you're passionate about, yeah, you got to put that time and effort and energy for it. So, yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was excellence. What's, what's that next? Level? Yeah. So then the third layer, which is probably the one that I had the greatest revelations in, uh, is the, is the layer of collaboration. And so once you're you, and then we help you sort of become the best you, you can be, we want to put you in the context of other yous. And, and you know, the thing that's, I think so eye opening to me is that creativity has this stigma about it that the most creative beings are the most lonely beings or the most isolated beings. And I think that the Bible squashes that like crazy. I mean, I think that, you know, you read scripture and I could, I couldn't even begin Ross to start telling you every single moment in scripture where teamwork and partnership and community and collaboration is a thought. But as I started going through that, I thought, God, there's gotta be more than just like all these random little scriptures that I can sort of pull from. And I, it hit me, it hit me like a, hundred pound dumbbell on my head. I mean, I'd never have thought about this, but so often we're looking for this solution of, Oh God, why does community matter? Why does, why does, why does life never been meant to live on your own? Well, here's the thing. God is a God that is three in one. Trinitarian theology is, is the crux of the Christian faith, right? I mean, God created the world in six days. He then sent Jesus to come die on the cross for us. And then he sends us the Holy Spirit to be our companion and our friend. The truth of the matter is God could have chosen to do all of that himself because he is God. I mean, he could have said, God's going to come down and die on the cross for us. God's going to also be that one who is our friend and our companion because God is God. And to think that God couldn't have done that on his own is is a, a broken theology, in my opinion. And once we realize that God is three in one, not one in one, it hit me and I was like, holy cow, God literally chose to collaborate with himself in order to show us our need for collaboration with others. Like if God said for himself, hey, I'm not just going to do this on my own, <laughs> then we're crazy to think that this creative calling, this creative journey, this creative life can be done on our own. I mean, it's just amazing. And then I was sitting with a friend the other day and he helped me realize this crazy thing. He said, Luke, have you ever read in scripture in Genesis that you know, God's doing all this creative stuff. And then when it's time to make man, he uses the phrase, let us make yeah, man. Yep. That's exactly what I was thinking. And I'm like, oh, I've never noticed that tiny little nuance. But that just shows you that God had this picture of collaboration since the beginning of time. And so often we go, oh, if I could just get away from my team and create, if I could just go and design, or if I could just go make something on my own, we, we would think we could unlock everything. And I love what Scott Belsky says in his book, Making Ideas Happen, that the best ideas are both born and lost in isolation because it's collaboration. It's iron sharpens iron. It's this community around you that God's going to use to help your ideas come to life. And, and I can tell you for, for us, for SALT specifically, what, what we've seen is that it's through collaboration that ideas become so much bigger than us. I mean, if I looked at salt and was like, oh, it's because God gave me all these great ideas, well, then I'd take all the credit. But the truth of the matter is, we have never had an experience or a thought or an uh, expression of, of salt that hasn't been a team-driven thing, which means I can't take credit for it. It's a, it's a team thing, which means it sort of helps others see God in the things we're doing because we're so committed to that collaborative environment. time interview with him visit the podcast episode page on our website at creativechurch.com that's crtvchurch.com welcome to reply all where each week we post a question and give you the chance to answer online in our creative folks group on facebook last week we asked you what is your dream job and if you already have your dream job, what is it and why is it your dream job? We got a ton of feedback on this one, so here are a few of our favorites in no particular order or reading. Tony said, a missions storyteller, traveling internationally, working with missionaries to document their ministry and tell their story. I'm actually in the process of this and currently raising funds for trips. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. That is There's very a. Good. Yeah, I, that reminds me of a. Um, 
I think it was called uh, Good Story. I don't know if either of you have heard about that. They uh-uh. they help partner with missionaries to tell stories. That's, that's really awesome. cool. Wow. That's really cool. That's awesome. Okay. So Tanner said, making enough money for my freelance work, main job to be able to help smaller churches or church plants with their design needs that can't afford to pay for it. That's pretty cool, Tanner. That is very cool. And Tanner yeah. um, has some off, 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 off. Um, he has some awesome uh, designs. You can actually go check those out on the Crave Church Instagram feed. Shameless plug. Um, they're, they're <laughs> go cool. Tanner! Woo! Go t- yeah, he got featured a few times, and uh, they're really, really awesome. Um, Kayla said, "I would love to have a home where single moms could stay and help them financially stay or get financially stable on their own." Obviously, there would be a financial responsibility in training so um, that when they were on their own, they could be a success. She's currently a communications director for a church, and uh, she says she's loving every minute of it. Uh, so she's not sure she'd give that up just yet, but her heart is constantly pulled towards single moms. I think that's just so awesome. So, so, so awesome. This is cool that's because really there cool. actually is something like this where I live. Mm-hmm. It's called Project Hope, and basically oh, awesome. it's an apartment mm. complex And they take single homeless moms off the street with their kids, put them in this awesome apartment for eight months, help them get on their feet, remove all the barriers, and then basically just help them take their next steps. So then they graduate from the program, can afford their own apartment. Like, it's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really awesome. Yes. Kayla, go after your dreams. That's so cool. Uh, Zach said he wants to be a Mars colonist. So (laughs) hop in that Tesla and go, buddy. Yeah. Go. Go to Mars. Be a colonist. Do your dreams. Live your dreams. That's awesome. Olivia says, to become a blogger sounds so millennial of me, but she really enjoys product trials, food, and socializing. So it seems like hmm. the right job. Play to your strengths. Exactly. Yeah, play to your strengths. Exactly. That's, that's, that's a good job to have here in the 2018 of our Lord. Year of our Lord. Um, <laughs> like Way to said, make it awkward. Like yeah. we said at the beginning of the podcast, we're off to a slow start this morning uh, or this afternoon. Again, again. Um, we had a couple people say that they want to be Imagineers at Disney, mm. which um, is what really makes that Facebook group so magical, a magical place for me to be at least. Um, anyway, those are some amazing answers. Uh, to see all the rest, you can do so by joining our Creative Talks group on Facebook. This week, however, um, we wanted, again, going a little off brand here, but uh, we wanted to ask you, <laughs> where do you draw the line with Oreo flavors? What Oreo flavor would be an absolute no for you? Uh, Ross, Emily, what are your answers? Oh, okay. Liver. I just couldn't do that. <laughs> oh, God. Liver and onions flavored no. Oreos. <laughs> no. Like, no. Definitely no. Even if it was purple, no. Would you Would you try it? No, no. You wouldn't even try <laughs> Not it. Even nope. try wouldn't it. even try it. <laughs> no. What if it? Oh, oh. Well, Ross, what What do you got? Oh man. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I would go along that. You know, like a spaghetti and meatballs. That would Ooh. probably not be. I'd too try good. that. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Emily's it like, is I, in the same family of ketchup with that marinara sauce. I, so I'd have to do one. Emily's like, I'd have to do one. Uh, what <laughs> the whole package? I'd at least do one of them, though. Oh um, man. I I was trying to think of one I would I wouldn't absolutely not eat. Um, wow, and there are so many, but so many. But I think I'd have to go with a uh, pot roast, pot roast Oreos. Mm. Can't stand pot roast. I'm assuming okay. that pot roast Oreos would just taste horrible. So well, I mean, there you go. Again, those are it's all logical. meat meat flavored Oreos. Wait, do you guys like meat? Oh yeah, of course. Yes. Okay. I mean, just yeah. Not in your are, Oreos. Do you, do you like? It's not my Oreo. Okay. Do, are you a vegetarian? <laughs> no, I love okay. meat. Everyone here <laughs> on the podcast, none of us are vegetarians. Perfect. No. All right. Good. All right. Uh, I'm assuming no one in our Creative Talks group is vegetarians. If they are, um, sorry. Uh, but anyway, if you want to join in on conversation, you can do so by heading over to our Facebook page and uh, joining Creator Talks. That's one word, CRTV Talks. On that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. There are a few great ways that you can share your appreciation for the Creative Church podcast. First, subscribe and add us to your favorite podcatcher. We also l- release all of our episodes on our website at creativechurch.com, our newly officially designed website that got a facelift this week. Um but not 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 one that everyone can see, but one that is internal and makes it four seconds load time. Oh wow! That's just a big big deal for me. That's huge. I'm geeking out. Four seconds yeah, of load time. Awesome, that's awesome. Dude. That is awesome. It's 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 lightning fast now. 
Also, review this podcast and show us some rating star love on iTunes so we can get more exposure and the more people that find us can and the more people that find us can finally find out when we get a Tesla flavored Oreo. Ooh. <laughs> yes. mm, the Tesla flavored Oreo. No. It would it would it would taste like you think Elon Musk smells. It would taste like Elon Musk is must. Oh my goodness. Musk. Just, musk. I feel Elon like that's musk. a cologne line. Elon yeah. Musk. Why doesn't Elon's Elon Musk? musk have... Elon's Musk. Yes. Why doesn't he have his own cologne? That he seems will. like a logical next step for him. He will, and it'll take you to the future. Again, if he does have his own cologne and he, he launches it, you know, in the next few years, we know he listened to this podcast. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, lastly, consider sharing this episode on social media. You can do so by searching our handle, Creative Church. That's one word, CRTV Church. Um, special thanks to Luke for joining us today. You can check out all that he's doing by heading over to our podcast episode page on our website at creativechurch.com. Also, thanks to Visual Media Church for sponsoring today's show. Do us a big favor and go check them out and snag that 20% discount when you use offer code CREATIVECHURCH. That's one word, all caps, CRTV Church. In the meantime, I'm Nick Gunner. I'm Ross Double Stuff Montgomery. And I'm Emily Cummins. And we will see you next episode. listening to this week's episode of the creative church podcast for more information visit us at creativechurch.com that's crtvchurch.com also check us out on twitter instagram and facebook at creative church Mm -hmm.